It's my privilege to bring you the Bible reading today, which is from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 8 through to 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, replay, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit blessing. Four, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their hearts. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your, your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, the rock, at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Amen. Excuse me. It is me. talking and you try to rescue. Thank you, sweetheart. Just to check with everybody, fellas, how many wives called you Lord or Master this week? <laughs> Not a one. Me either. <laughs> Ladies, how many of your husbands were considerate and treated you as a weaker vessel this week? Not a one. Well, what's the point? We come this morning to continuing this uh, series of what Peter is talking about. Before I jump into this, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we always do this and it's appropriate. We give you thanks for this opportunity, for your word and for your truth. Without this, Lord, we would be literally in the spiritual darkness. 
that you've saved us and brought us into the light. Your word is light. It's a light to our feet, showing us the way to live in this world. So we pray that you would again open our eyes, our minds, help us to understand your will and what you desire and require of us, that we might please you, that we might obey you, and that we might be used by you to bring others, other souls out of darkness. So Lord, teach us, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, that when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put my childhood behind me. Um, let me apologise before I continue, simply to say that I tried doing some slides for this morning, but for whatever reasons, between my phone and my iPad yesterday, they wouldn't connect, they wouldn't talk to each other, so I couldn't do it. So I've asked Jack to put the uh, things up, just as texts, thank you, and we'll try to help you that way. What the, I quoted that verse from 1 Corinthians 11, 13, 11, because there's a parallel that before I was a believer, I used to talk like an unbeliever, reason like an unbeliever, think like an unbeliever, behave like an unbeliever. But when you become a believer, you put away your unbelieving ways, the way you thought, the way you acted, the way you reasoned, and so on. That's where Peter's going in this passage. During the week, I came across a list of rules for toddlers. I have two of my grandchildren, which are Probably one's a baby and one would be a toddler. And these rules are entirely appropriate. The rules for toddlers are these. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it before, it's mine. If I build something, then all of the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with it, but you put it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> well, <clears throat> they're good rules for toddlers. But even as toddler Christians, we need to put those ways behind us. When we become mature believers in following the Lord Jesus, it's not about me, it's about you it's about the other person the me becomes a we we become part of a family part of a community it's no longer the focus on self as it is for little toddlers it's now on others it's on us and that's exactly what peter is teaching us in this passage from chapter 2 verse 11 he's been talking about how do we live in this world as followers of jesus and he has spoken about how do we live in society submit to the governing authorities how do we live at work we submit to our boss and those in authority over us. How do we live in the home? We spoke about it last week. One word, submission. Well, today he's going to go on to talk about and how do we live in the church? But how do we live also in the world in our relationships of what's going on? And he's going to talk about attitudes and our responses and our motivation. Let's walk through the passage. Chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul begins by saying, Finally, all of you. Let me just pause and point out, the very first word is finally, and he's only halfway through the letter. I find great encouragement from this. It's a preacher's gift. The Holy Spirit put it there deliberately so preachers would be uh, 
enabled and empowered to be able to say finally, but then still to keep going on. Finally means I'm coming to the end, but not for Peter, he's halfway through. I find this greatly encouraging. That is annoying, isn't it? I'll stand perfectly still and not move. All of you. You want a hug, a kiss? What do you want? <laughs> Is it because it's on the outside? See if I don't know if I can hold it, but we'll try that. Finally, all of you, no exceptions. All the women, all the men, all ages, all of you. This is for the church. And this is how we are supposed to behave as followers of the Lord Jesus in church. This is in the family, in this relationship, all of you. And he gives this uh, fivefold description. Let's work through it very quickly. He says that we are to be like minded, we're to cooperate, we're to live in harmony. It doesn't mean that we are to think all exactly the same thing. That's uniformity, that's unity. It's like being on the ark. There's all different, there were eight different people. There's all different sorts of animals, but they were all in there together. That's the idea. Cooperating together is certainly what Jesus prayed for. Like-minded. In fact, the Puritans used to say, in essentials of the faith, we have unity. We think the same in our constitution. We have a doctrinal basis to be part of our church family. You look at the doctrinal basis and say, yep, that's what I believe. I believe those things. If you don't believe those things... <clears throat> excuse me, then really you shouldn't be part of this church family um, because that's what we believe and that's what we teach and that's what we want to pass on to others. In non-essentials, and there are lots of issues that are non-essential, they're personal opinions. You can have a different attitude and an understanding on the second coming, um, on all sorts of things, the way you explain things. Um, in those things we have liberty, freedom. In fact, it is a Baptist principle, a very early Protestant pr uh, principle, that um, uh, liberty of conscience means that not only do I have the right to think and believe what I think the Scriptures teach, the way I interpret it, but you also have that. And in fact, I have the obligation to defend your rights to think that. Because if I don't stand up for you having the freedom, then I will lose my freedom. Does that make sense? In essentials, unity, not essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity, loving one another. Paul says, uh, Peter says, sorry, we are to be sympathetic. Um, to feel things in our heart and to feel with one another, to care for one another. To love one another as brothers and sisters, to be compassionate or tender-hearted, to be affected by what's going on in people's lives around us. And to be humble, to be courteous. They're the essentials of how we are to behave towards one another. We are to lead that sort of a life. Um, way back in the early church history, a guy was born, his name was Tertullian. He lived about 150 roughly to about 220. Uh, and he was a, a bishop in the early church. Uh, he writes this. Um, back in that period of time, the Roman Empire, the Romans would send in spies into the church to check it out because it was a bit unknown. What's going on with these Christians, with this church? They're weird. 
and are they a danger? There had been earlier writings <clears throat> where people who were ignorant, who didn't understand exactly what we were doing as Christians, they accused us of incest, of cannibalism and of being atheists. Why did they accuse us of, being, of incest? Because we call one another brothers and sisters. Oh. Why would they accuse us of being cannibals? Communion. We eat the body and we drink the blood. They heard, you're cannibals. Or, why do they think we're atheists? Well, have a look around. You see any statues, idols, gods? Nothing. You guys don't believe in God. There aren't any. Not in their buildings. And so that was the misunderstanding. Tertullian writes this, and he's um, reflecting that sort of background. He says, quoting a Roman soldier who had come in as a spy, these Christians are very strange people. And everybody said? <laughs> they meet in an empty room to worship. They have no images. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they expect at any moment. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. That's Tertullian quoting one of those Roman spies. Meet in an empty room. Um, they have no images. They speak of the name of someone by the name of Jesus who is absent, whom they expect at any moment. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. Wouldn't that be interesting? The government sent spies in amongst us and then they wrote up a report on what we were like. That's what Peter's saying. That's how, for all of you, this is what you're supposed to be like, to behave this way with one another. He goes on, verse 9, which I think you can still see. Now it's going to get harder because treating one another who are in the family is a lot easier then how do we respond to people who aren't nice to us, who want to hurt us or harm us? And so commentators debate, debate, is he talking about people who are on the inside or is he talking about people who are on the outside or both? Primarily, though, I think, on the outside. This is what he says, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't retaliate. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What are we to do? Not retaliate. It's very natural. It's very normal for unbelievers to do that. That we don't respond, we react. You push me, I push back. You say things to me or about me, then I say things to you or about you and so on. That's normal. That's how the world behaves. But as followers of the Lord Jesus, we are to not repay. Not evil, not an insult. We're not to hit back. God has called us to be a blessing. So when somebody says the wrong thing to you or about you or they, whatever you, you are simply to bless them. We are to love our enemies. If you bless, then you'll be blessed because that's what we've been called to. Or as somebody tried teaching me very early on in my young pastoral life, don't react, respond. Be in control. And I think it's a word of wisdom. Reacting is where we get the repaying stuff and we make mistakes, certainly for me. Don't react, respond, bless them. That's what Jesus spoke about too in the Sermon on the Mount. 
um, and you'll be rewarded. Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all oh, manner of false things against you because of me. And great is your reward in heaven. Matthew chapter 5. That's what Peter wants us to do. Don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, bless. Why? Well, because the motivation is, verse 10 and following, he quotes the scripture. Whoever would love life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Note verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God is watching. God is listening. And if you react, if you repay evil for evil, the psalmist says, Psalm 34, that it's like God turns his face away. You're out of step with God. You're out of step with what he wants to do in your life and through you. Peter goes on to say, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? What implication? Oops. But even if you should suffer for what is right, verse 14, you are blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. This is how the Apostle Peter is wanting us to consider that we are to live. Internally, those five attributes. Externally, don't repay, be a blessing. Be nice. So in my personal life, I thought about it this week. You know, what that means for me is... When somebody comes and I'm driving and they come right up too close, then I am not to get annoyed. I'm not to slow down. I'm to be nice and to bless. Personal application for me. Maybe for you as well. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's either a divine thing or... So when somebody's too close behind me, which I find irritating and annoying, and you want to retaliate, then I'm going to try and do, Lord, bless them. Help them, you know, let good things happen in their life. And to be that. And it's not just doing that silently, because in the car they can't hear me, but it's doing that actually verbally, when that happens in real life. Be nice back to people. When they're nasty to you, be nice back. Walk away. It's hard stuff. But that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. And this is why. This is one of the most important verses in this chapter. Chapter 3, verse 15. Can you see 15? No. Verse 15. If we live like that, this is what will happen. But set apart... Uh, or in your hearts revere Christ as Lord set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a key conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you for your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander verse 15 but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord let me say this Peter is writing this to the persecuted church These guys um, were in danger that if they stood up unashamedly, they could possibly be arrested and if not executed. This was the time they were living in. So it was a persecuted church and it was costly. 
So he's telling them, how do you live in a world like that? Well, you behave like that, like these five attributes and don't retaliate, be a blessing, be nice, like Jesus was in the midst of all the opposition that he encountered. And Peter is saying this to the whole church. He's not saying it to the evangelists. He's not saying it to the pastors or the missionaries. He's not saying it to the specialists. He's saying it to the church. All of us are to do this. Verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. There are primarily two commands in this. Set apart Christ as Lord. Revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. And secondly, always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. It's non-negotiable. And if we get asked questions, that we're to have a response. And if we live like he has already said that we should live, you'll get asked questions. But what's going on for you? Why do you do this? So to be clear, there are not two levels of Christianity, of two levels of Christians, those it's like basic Christianity where I confess Jesus as Lord and that's it, I'm done. And then there are the other people who are in the advanced class that they do the theology and the apologetics and everything else. No, it's not like that. We're all on a journey. We are in Christ or not in Christ. We could be babes in Christ. We could be young people in Christ. We can be mature in Christ. But we're on a journey moving that way. And for all of us, babes in Christ, youth in Christ, the mature in Christ, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart and always be prepared. Be prepared. That's a significant part um, of this instruction for us. The reality is the world is watching us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 talks about us that we're like letters, known and read of all people. People watch you. Your neighbours watch you get in the car this morning. You dress reasonably nicely, wonder where they're going. They know. You're going to church. They know. I've told you before about... Um, we've got some new neighbours around us. Well, in the process of them moving in, I don't know how this got out, but they know that I'm a pastor, which is a real problem because that means I have to behave at home. <laughs> the assumption of Scripture is that if you live as God wants you to live, people will notice and people will ask questions. That implies, if you're not being asked questions, look at how you're living. Or look where you're living. Because that's what Jesus says. A new command I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, everyone will know by the way that we behave together. So in your hearts, the centre controlling part of your life, set apart Christ as Lord, make him Lord of every part of you and be prepared the verb prepared means that we are, it's not something that you, like you do a course and you're done and dusted. It's like be prepared and keep on being prepared. It's something you grow with. It's like training. It's like you're committing yourself to a journey. If somebody came to you today and they asked you the question, why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? Would you be able to answer them? Often we get asked the question, why? And we answer with how. Why are you a Christian? Well, because back in my life when this happened and yada, 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 and I gave my life to Jesus. Not how. Why? 
Why are you a Christian? Always be prepared to give an answer. And notice that the answer is to one question. It's not to a hundred questions. It's not know everything about all things. It's always be prepared to give an answer to the question about the hope that you have. Where do you get your hope from? Where do you get the strength from to respond and live like that? I want to be like that. Where do you get it from? And the answer starts with J. Jesus. It's not because we've got a better theology or better morality or better philosophy or any of that stuff. I think all that's true. It's because of Jesus. We have Jesus. No other religion has anything like him. Bill Hybels was once asked the question, what's the difference between all the religions in the world and Christianity? And he was wise enough and smart enough in a very instant, just a window of opportunity. He said the difference primarily is this. All of the religions in the world, in the midst of their diversity, can all be summed up in one word, do. We have to do certain things in order to be good enough to get to the next life, to the next stage, the next, to get to heaven. Do. Christianity is all about done. That's what he did for us. We can't do it. He did it. It's a good answer. It's a simple answer. And what we need to do is to, to be equipped. But also, let me say this to you this morning, to do a little bit of very quick, equip, uh, quick equipping. When you get asked a question, think very carefully about what's behind it. Why are they asking you? What do they want to know? Here's an example. And what we ought to do is probe and clarify. What are you asking? What do you want to know? Question. What would you answer to this? Do you think abortion is wrong? Do you think abortion is... If you could ask the question, do you think abortion is wrong? I would guess most of us in the room this morning, if not all of us in the room this morning, are going to say, yes. What do they hear? When they ask the question, is abortion wrong? And you say, yes. What do they hear or what do they think about you? They think that you are judgmental, narrow-minded, critical. When somebody asks you a question and the answer to the question leads them to think worse of you than what you really are, there's something wrong with the question. Find out what is behind the question. They're not asking about life. They're asking about choice. Is abortion wrong? Do I have the right to choose? And we're not answering the question about choice. We're answering the question about life. The baby is a living human. So they're asking about choice and we're answering about life. What is the question? Jesus did this all the time, 157 times in the gospel. Somebody was asking him a question, he would answer it with a question. Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Why do you call me good? He's probing. What's the assumptions that's behind this in your thinking? So if you were to ask 99% of, if you were asked 100% of the people in Australia, who goes to heaven? How do I get to heaven? 99.5% of them would say, be good. Do the right thing. Be good, you'll go. The assumption is that we are good enough. Behind that is, none of us are good. Only God is good. If you've got to be good to go to heaven and only God is good, we have a problem. 
we need Jesus. Do you see? You help them to see. So, question. Is abortion wrong? Response. When is it ever right for a person to take an innocent life? Answer? Most people are going to say, never. That's the difference. You following this? I know it's a very uncomfortable topic for us, but it's quite helpful because this happens in this world and in our life. They're asking a question about choice. And so their thinking is, who takes away choices? So when we say, no, it's wrong, you can't do it, we're taking away their choice. Tyrants, dictators, nasty people, parents, they take away choices. When you ask about choice, is it wrong to have an abortion? What are you asking me? I want to know... Do you think, does your church teach that we have the freedom to choose to have an abortion? Oh, we, we believe you're free and you're responsible and you must choose. I get a follow-up question. When is it right for a person to take an innocent life? Oh, never. No, you can't do that. You can't kill people. Oh. So then you're helping them probe and so on. Come and ask me later. Um, and so he's asking, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Answer that question. But sometimes you need to answer that question with a question. Make sense? Okay. If you're not asleep, then let's move on. Um, we, and we are to do this, is it up there? Yes. We are to do this with gentleness, with respect, and with a clear conscience. We are to do... Even on those controversial topics and issues, we are to do it with gentleness. A Muslim comes and asks you, do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Not with tolerance, respect. There is a difference between the two. We're to do it with gentleness because we're not after winning arguments, we're after winning people, building a relationship that they can find Jesus. Do it with respect. Revere God and respect people even those you totally disagree with, respect them. They have the right to think what they think. And I need to defend that right for them to think that, even though I don't agree with them. Otherwise, I lose the freedom to think what I think. Don't just tolerate them. If we tolerate them, that's a terrible word, if we tolerate them, that says something about me. I tolerate you. I mean, you're low life and despicable, but I tolerate you. Daryl the Merciful. Whereas if I respect them, I'm saying something about them. That they are made in God's image and that they have value to him and therefore I am to respect them. I may not disagree with them. What if you've got a bad boss? Well, we've done that one. Submit. Love and respect. What if it's bad people in your life? Well, be nice back to them. Bless them. That's what Peter is trying to teach us. Do it with gentleness, respect, and with a clear conscience. Answer as best you can. Don't make it up. If you don't know, say so. Let me get back to you. If you're really stuck and you run out of time or it's a stranger and you're not going to meet him again, give them Pastor Charlie's mobile number. <clears throat> He's wide awake at 2 o'clock in the morning. Get them to ring him then. But whatever you do, don't make it up. Build a relationship. 
That's what Peter is saying. If we live the life that we're supposed to be living, people will notice and people will ask you, why do you have the hope that you have? Because of this. Verse 16 goes on to talk about our good behaviour. Um, keeping So that those who speak maliciously against you, and there will be, because of your good behaviour in Christ, that eventually they will be ashamed because of their slander. God will bring either them to light or the day of judgment it's referring to. It's better for us, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's worth thinking about. It's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. It's better. You need to think about that. And then Peter gives, he did at the end of chapter 2 after his teaching and he does it again here in chapter 3 and this is one of the most, if not the uh, most complicated passages in the New Testament. Martin Luther said, and he was quite strong and dogmatic on what he believed, he said, I still am not confident I know what Peter is saying. There are three views, three current views, there are more than that, but there are three main views. I'm not sure I want to give you all three, but it is... I can understand it at a simple level, it's the details where we get all messed up. So let's keep it simple. Peter is saying, this is how I want you to live, following Christ in a dark world. How to live in society, how to live at work, how to live at home. How you should behave in the church. And it's don't repay, don't retaliate, it's rather bless them. Be different. Follow Jesus. And even though people reject you and say all sorts of things against you and you're still in the minority, remember Jesus. He lived a life like that. He was persecuted. He was punished. He died. What happened to him? Well, he rose again. He ascended to heaven. And now he is in glory. And he's now got all the angels and everybody else in submission to him. Follow Jesus. And just like he was raised, you will be raised. Just like he was victorious, you will be victorious. Follow him. That's the primary point. Peter is illustrating it. And he illustrates it in a way that gets quite unfamiliar to us. But here we go. Christ suffered for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, we understand that, on Calvary's cross, but made alive in the spirit. Is that the resurrection? But made alive by the spirit, in the spirit? And after being made alive, so this is now after the resurrection... He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. He went and didn't preach the gospel. He went and made a proclamation, an announcement of his victory to the imprisoned spirits. Who were these imprisoned spirits? Well, if you read 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude verse 6, then they'll give more information. To these imprisoned spirits, to those, he tells us, verse 20, it's to those spirits who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. What's he talking about? Well, if you read Genesis chapter 6 and verses 1 to 4, you will read about how the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and married them, and they had Nephilim as offspring. It's fallen angels possessing human men, marrying human women, and because of the demonic influence in the relationship, these offspring were likewise quite wicked and evil. Genesis chapter 6, need to read it. And in fact, because of their influence, Genesis says to us, Genesis 6 verse 5, 
that the imagination of the thoughts of the hearts of everybody at that time was only evil continually. It got bad. Worse than it is for us today. And that's why God would send the flood. Humankind become irredeemable. That's why after 120 years of Noah preaching, how many people got saved? Eight. Eight. Out of hundreds of thousands, of millions of people, eight. So God wiped them out, started again with Noah. The spirits who did that, who inhabited these men, who married these women, who had this offspring, God locked them up in prison. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says the prison is called Tartarus. Where is Tartarus? I don't know. So Jesus died. He's made alive in the spirit. He ascends and before, on the process of ascending to the spirits, these bound demons, who are the worst of the worst, in prison, Jesus declares victory, defeated. And then he ascends to heaven. And Peter is using that as an illustration of follow Jesus and make it tough, but in the end, he wins. In the end, you win. Stay the course with Jesus. That's the point of the illustration. I hope that makes sense. I want to just quickly race this through. I mean, there's a whole lot more. There's a whole message in that whole paragraph alone. But I wanted you to leave this with this awareness of this is what's going on in our world. Um, there, is an inv there are things, things that go on around us um, all the time and that often we are not aware of them. We can't see them and we don't know about them. Very simple illustration. Right now, being beamed right through this whole auditorium, there are signals that you can't pick up on. If you had a TV set, you might be able to tune it in and you would get a picture. But you can't do it. But they're still there. They're being beamed all around us. So too in the spirit world, there is another, not parallel world, but there's another invisible world of angels and of demons and cherubim and seraphim and so on. And they have different ranks and so on. And there's a spiritual battle going on. Um, that's what's behind all the persecution and things that are happening in our world. In the Garden of Eden, when God put Adam and Eve there and Satan went into a serpent and came along and tricked them, tempted them and deceived them, and then God came and God spoke to Satan and said, there is a day coming, the seed of the woman will crush your head, you will bruise his heel. Time is really gone, Genesis 3.15. That verse is then being worked out all the way through Scripture, that Satan, under that threat, has continually tried to stomp out the seed of the woman. That's why he inspired Cain to kill Abel, because Abel was the seed of the woman. So he's trying to protect himself, trying to stop it. That's why when they get into Egypt, it's Satan who inspires Pharaoh to kill all of the, the baby boys, wipe the seed of the woman out, I'll be safe. You trace it all the way through, Esther and Haman. Jesus comes into the world eventually, and Herod tries to kill all the baby boys. You've got to kill the seed. He's got to protect himself. That's what's going on. And so Jesus comes into this world and he, when he is killed on Calvary's cross, Satan and all of the demons thought they had won. The seed of the woman is dead. It's buried. I even put a guard over the tomb so he couldn't get out. But God, according to his plan, had won. And Jesus, of course, rises from the dead and is victorious and he rules on high. That's the 
illustration. That's the word that Peter is wanting to give the church then and what God is wanting to give us now. Um, we are to live for him in this world. Remember the example of Jesus. Remember the faithfulness of Noah. What are we to do? Be in control of your life. Don't react, respond. Be nice to each other and then carry that niceness out into the world. Don't repay, bless. Be the person God wants you to be. Be prepared then to ask, to be asked the question about why do you live this way and how do you get this hope and where is it from? Be prepared to give an answer for that and then be aware and be sure of our ultimate victory in Jesus. Because of time, I'm just going to pray. I think we'll end our service. Is that clock right? It's 20 to 10? Let's pray. We'll finish our service. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are the sovereign God, that in the Lord Jesus, we win. Lord, help us to em embrace this truth that in him we are victorious. Therefore, Lord, help us to pay the cost and to follow him in the here and now. When it looks like we're being defeated, when it looks like we're getting beat up, when it looks like you're not looking after us, help us to remember these truths. Lord, help us to behave as we ought to behave with brothers and sisters in this family. And then help us to carry those same attitudes out into our lives in the world. Forgive us if we repay. Help us rather to bless. And then, Lord, equip us. Give us wisdom. When we hear the question, to be very clear in what we're being asked so we can answer it, so that people can come to know Jesus as well. And we acknowledge and are so grateful that he rules on high. Could you go before us in the days of this week? Give us opportunities to respond to these truths in our responses as well verbally in answering questions. Lord, grant us your grace, your mercy, and your enduring peace until we meet again. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said...